Uh, graduations are exciting events. I went to one this uh, week, uh, eighth grade graduation over at Rogers, uh, and um, I have to say quite honestly, I saw a lot of happy people there. A lot of happy people there. One of the things about graduations in this valley is they're well attended. And uh, you see a lot of folks smiling and happy and cheering and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I wonder, you know, as I look on that, you know, what is there about this particular event that brings happiness out of us so quickly, so easily? Uh, and about our lives in general, uh, would it be true of us in general that we're happy people? that we're known as happy people. Would that be true? Now, I'm hoping that's the case. I was pretty happy to, to go over and, and visit the Wagners this week. And Dell, you're celebrating 90 years uh, this week, right? Uh, birthday. Uh, don't you think that's quite an accomplishment? Yeah, 90 years. Yeah. My uh, mother-in-law also turned 90 uh, this week, and uh, we are going to be celebrating her big occasion next Saturday. Uh, she's been a longtime member of the Village Church, and we're going to go over there. People are coming from all over the United States to come see her uh, for this event, so we're looking forward to, to doing that. So if you wonder what Nancy's been doing, she's planning a big birthday bash for her mom. Uh, and uh, my mom is actually coming. She's going to come here tomorrow and stay for a while, and so that'll be good. I haven't seen my mom, well, since I broke my arm. <laughs> I haven't seen her for a while. I haven't been able to drive over there, so I'm looking forward to it. We have been talking about happiness. Now, I've had a number of you say, I have never heard a sermon on happiness, and I definitely not, have not heard a series of sermons on happiness. But I believe that happiness is absolutely critical, and I believe the scriptures have a great deal uh, to say about happiness, that the Bible wants us to be happy people. In fact, I believe the happiness of all created life is at what's at stake in the cosmic conflict between good and evil. I believe that happiness is what's at stake. The Christian view of happiness, I admit, is different than the world's view of happiness. The Christian's view of happiness has an outside-the-world quality to it. And what I mean by that is that, especially apocalyptic texts in, this, in the Bibles, uh, offer happiness as a present foretaste of a future blessing. Can I say that again? Apocalyptic texts offer happiness as a present foretaste of a future blessing. So I want to illustrate that. Uh, I normally I would illustrate that with a Bible text, many Bible texts, which we'll get to in a minute. But for right now, I want to illustrate it with a passage from an, an early pioneer Adventist, Ellen White. And here's what she has to say. As through Jesus we enter into rest, heaven begins here. We respond to Jesus' invitation, come learn of me, and in thus coming to Jesus, we begin life eternal, here and now. We begin it. Heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. The longer we are in the heaven of bliss, the more and still more of glory will be opened to us. 
And the more we know of God, the more intense will be our happiness. Is that true? Wow, what a profound statement. She goes on to say, as we walk with Jesus in this life, we may be, what, just a little bit? Filled with his love, satisfied. Now, whenever the Old Testament, I, I, I showed you words for this long ago here right now. Whenever the, the Old Testament uses Hebrew words to talk about satisfied, it means satisfied. You know what I'm talking about? Full up. You leave after a big meal, and you're like, whew, that was good. You know, Thanksgiving kind of meal. So she talks about we may be filled with his love, satisfied with his presence. All, how much? All that humans can bear, we may receive here. What? And then she goes on to say, but what is this compared with the hereafter? So what we can receive here is amazing. But it just holds a candle to what we're going to receive. Happiness is a present foretaste of a future blessing. And this passage, of course, from Ellen White, endorses this view that knowing God brings intense, intense happiness. Now, there's a sense in which happiness, uh, in, say, like the book of Revelation, is just like what we've seen in, say, the Gospels. One of the things we'll discover when we read the book of Revelation is it has its own set of Beatitudes, just like Matthew and Luke do. In Revelation 1, verse 3, we read, Happy is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and happy are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, not only are you happy because you've heard it, but you're going to be extremely happy if you do it, if you live it, if you embrace it, and it becomes part of your life. So when you read the book of Revelation, and you grab onto it, you latch onto it, you're going to be a happier person. In Revelation 14, 13, you know, that's where we hear about the messages of what angels? How many angels? Three angels, right? We talk about that pretty often in Adventism. Right after that, we hear, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Happy are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are happy indeed. Why? For they will rest from their hard work and their good deeds follow them. Here, once again, we learn that death is sleep in the Bible. They rest from their work, their hard work, right? And uh, yet, what they've done, the virtues that they have embraced and lived out, follow after them. In Revelation 16, 15, we read, Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Happy are all who are watching for me who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Here we are talking, obviously, in a metaphoric sense, of you and I choosing to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and not in our own filthy garments. In Revelation 19, verse 9, the angel said to me, to John, write this. Happy are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
And he added, these are true words that come from God. I enjoy, I enjoy invitations that I get to come celebrate with people. One of the big reasons why I was delighted to be a part of Ty and Megan's wedding, to be delighted to be a part of that wedding reception, to see that, to come here and enjoy that time together. I was delighted to receive an invitation to attend eighth grade graduation this week. Today I walked into youth Sabbath school and one of the very first things that happened is one of the graduates said to me, Mike, you are coming to our party after graduation, right? Yeah, you bet I am. I mean, I'm happy to, but I'm happy to get that kind of invitation. Are you happy to be invited to big parties? I didn't hear you. Apparently, very few of you are. Are you happy to be invited? Yeah. I mean, it's fun, isn't it, to celebrate these occasions together? Well, here's one. Happy are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. I don't want you to miss it. Neither does God. These are true words that come from God. Happy and holy Revelation 20, verse 6 says, Happy and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Look, Revelation 22, verse 7 says, Look, I'm coming soon. Happy are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. And it seems like there's one last one. Revelation twenty two fourteen. happy are those who wash their robes. They have the right to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. I look forward to eating fruit from the tree of life. Any of you like fruit? How many of you would say fruit is your favorite edible? Raise your hand. Fruit is your favorite thing to eat. All right. Yeah, today uh, I had blackberries, I had blueberries, uh, let's see, what else did we have today? Blackberries, blueberries, I didn't have strawberries, I had cherries today, right, yeah, cherries this morning. I look forward to eating from a tree that produces 12 different kinds of fruit monthly. Have you ever asked yourself, is that 12 different kinds of fruit monthly, or one fruit each month. You know? I don't either. But I'm sure interested in finding out. These verses, it seemed to me, all sound like Jesus' Beatitudes in one way, shape, or form. The Beatitudes that we find in Matthew and Luke. But there's obviously a whole lot more that the Bible wants to say that uh, we can find in apocalyptic texts in particular regarding happiness. There's a lot, a lot to find. And one of the elements that kind of looms large when we go to books like Daniel and Revelation and other books that have apocalyptic passages, we find that future blessing is like the main element, the largest contribution to apocalyptic happiness. What they say is, look, what you're going to experience in the future is going to be just astonishing. It's going to be so beautiful. 
So I was mentioning today in youth class, I had this really freaky thing happen uh, since I broke my arm, and I asked my uh, hand therapist, why, why is this happening? And she gave me an interesting explanation, one different than I thought. Uh, after I had the splint and the cast and I stopped wearing the wrist guard, uh, so that was pinning my hand pretty much in place, I noticed that whenever I would yawn, my whole arm, my left arm, would begin to shake uncontrollably while I was yawning. It was weird. It is weird because it still happens. And stop that. You know, and I, and I was thinking, why is that? Is it just weakness or whatever? And so when I asked her, she said, well, that's partly due to the weakness of not using your arm for so long. But it's also because everything from here to here is super tight. Because when I massage your arm and your hand and stuff, your bones, your tendons, your ligaments, your muscles, everything is tight. And when everything is tight and everything is weak, yawning is a very forcible activity. It's violent. And so when that violence occurs in your body, because your arm is so tight and so weak, it begins to shake. Strange. Then I read this, these passages in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26 from Paul, I learned the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 43, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. I look forward to a day when everything that my body emanates, puts out, is power. Because I'm tired of this already. Okay, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of the fact that when I kneel down after, you know, I had knee surgery some years back for a torn meniscus, and it isn't the kneeling that bothers me, it's the getting up from kneeling. I'm going to be glad when that's gone. When, when my body comes up off the ground, it does with power. Any of you with me here? Yeah. I want to have that body that has tremendous power. And what Paul is trying to tell us here is, in the future, there'll be no more death. This week we are a little concerned with that. My wife's planning this big birthday party for her mother. The next thing you know, we get this call. We're taking mom to the ER. I think she might have had a stroke. She didn't. And of course, you know, you got to joke about some of these, uh, you know, Maccabre kind of events. And so you say, Mom, please, you can't die on us before the party. You know? Because uh, we got all this stuff in motion and people were coming. I don't really much care for death, do you? Are you glad to hear then in the future it will be gone off the plate entirely? That there again, whatever things you've done in your life that have brought shame to you, gone. Whatever things you've done in your life to hurt yourself or others, gone. I look forward to that. Death being destroyed, mortal bodies being raised immortal, weak bodies being raised as powerful bodies. That sounds like a really good thing to me. In Daniel 12, verses 2 to 3, we read, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, 
to everlasting life. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will light the stars forever and ever. I get this, light the stars shine forever and ever. Uh, so the point behind all of that is several. One of them, of course, is that death is like sleep again. And the other is that the death that, that people experience who are faithful to God is not eternal, but rather life is eternal. And more than that, when a person chooses to follow God, they begin to shine right here, right now, wherever you are, in your home, in your community, you are shining if you're following God. And what's more, you're going to continue to shine brighter and brighter and brighter throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. In Mark chapter 12, verse 25, we read, For when the dead rise, they will be like the angels in heaven. Now, there's an interesting thought. I'm not entirely sure what the angels in heaven are like, and that passage certainly teaches some things about that. But the point is being, the point being is, is this, you're going to be like them. Really? Because every time I read in the Bible about angels, they look incredibly powerful, very smart. They have the ability to kind of wing their way through space at amazing speeds, you know, Boom here in heaven, boom down here on earth in, a, in a, like a heartbeat. Boy, I would love to be like that. In John, in Revelation 20, verse 13, we read, The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all of these passages point to a hope, a future hope that's really powerful. And most of that hope will begin when Jesus returns. At that time, those who have embraced a virtuous life, the life that only God can give, those people will experience death no more, not ever again. This future blessing is the big element of apocalyptic happiness. But having told us all this, that the Bible is positing for us, you know, a, a really fantastic experience in the future, the Bible doesn't say, well, look, that's all there is to it. That's the only happy element there is. No, God gives people a huge dose of happiness in this life, we read. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, one of the most powerful passages. When I first read it, you know, and got it in my brain for myself, I can remember thinking, this is incredible. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or property for my sake and for the good news will receive when? Now, will receive now in return. How much? A hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. So I'm going to stop there just for a second. If you have become a member of a church family, have you noticed how it is when somebody's kid graduates? You get an invitation to their party, you go to their graduation, you give them a card. We got bags so that everybody here can basically join the family of each graduate. Is that true? You have got then more kids 
in your family. You've also, if you're one of the graduates, got more family members. Hundreds of them. You'd be surprised at how many people will show up to your events. The truth of this statement is so deep. In this life, you will receive a hundred times as much. Goes on to say, along with persecution, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Now, I'm sure some of you are moaning, oh man, if only Mark and Jesus had just left out this idea of persecution, I'd be pretty good with this passage, right? But Jesus was always a realist. And what he said most often was, count the cost. Count the cost. But here we can see that the present blessing is set side by side with the future blessing. What we receive here and now is said to be a hundred times greater than what it cost us, even if that includes persecution. Right? Right? Thank you. Yeah, amen. Even if it includes persecution, you're still going to come out with a hundred times as much. Now, we can see this kind of, you know, juxtaposition is the official word for it, the side-by-side setting of, you know, present and future blessing when we go to the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, which has all these apocalyptic materials, got all these visions of things happening, right? We read, though, in Daniel 1.15, at the end of a mere 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. Do you think this is a current blessing for Daniel and his friends? I wouldn't mind just experiencing something like that in 10 days. A blessing, I'm sure, that made these guys very happy with their situation. We keep reading in verse 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Now, if you're a student, I mean, I had students in youth class. We always ask, how's your week on? And of course, it's been finals week for a number of them. And some of them are expecting finals week. But some of them said, I had a major test. How'd you do? I did great. At the end of whatever test you face, whether you're a student or a student of life, at the end of your test and you did well, how do you feel? Do you feel pretty happy? Most of the time, happiness comes with that kind of, you know, euphoria. Hey, I did really good. I made it through this test. I made it through this test, and I did very well. How can you not be happy with these kind of results? How can you not be? These are results that happened here and now, not in some future life for Daniel. But they offer to us a kind of an outcome that says, look, why should I put God first? And when we read the story of Daniel, we see why. Because here in this life, we will experience incredible blessings and be happier as a result. In Daniel 1, 19 to 20, 
The king talked with Daniel and his three friends, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the royal service, and whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Now, this happy outcome is repeated over and over again in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 5.29, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel is dressed in purple robes and a gold chain is hung around his neck, and he's proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Is that right? Isn't that the way it reads? Daniel 6, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Here it's Darius the Mede, you know, he's taken over from the Babylonians. And here he sees again, I mean, you've got all these changes of, of rulers and countries, you know, and Daniel still stays right up there at the top. The outcome for Daniel remains the same. Fairly happy times. Now, what's interesting is we read earlier, right, about all the things you're going to receive in this life, a hundred times as much. And then it said, along with that, persecution. You remember that? The little, you know, parentheses. When we read the book of Daniel, we also see the bad times, the unhappy moments, alongside the happy ones. Here we see so very clearly when we think of these stories, Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. We go back to Daniel 2 and we discover that all of these guys, all four of them, were actually ordered to be put to death along with a host of other people, right? It didn't happen. But here, constantly, their life is in danger. Amidst all these scenes of tremendous happiness are these difficult moments. What keeps these young men on the path pursuing a virtuous life? And given the hard times, why would they keep going? They offer God loyalty no matter what. Three of them said, God could save us from this fiery furnace. We believe he can. But if he doesn't, we're okay with that. Wow. Loyalty to God no matter what. What does it take for you and I to be happy in this life? When things are going badly, when things are going ugly. The book of Daniel would say, what? What does it take to be happy? Loyalty to God no matter what. We can be happy only if we possess unflinching loyalty to God. No matter what. How do we develop unflinching loyalty to God? Well, if we're looking at the book of Daniel, we read our Bibles. See, Daniel did that? Yeah. Do you remember where he says, I read in the book of Jeremiah about 70 years, God, and I'm holding you to it. 
We read in the book of Daniel how he would kneel and pray, even though there was a law that was formed that would or should have prevented him from, from praying. It did not stop him, right? So he read his Bible. He prayed. We read also about his, in his interactions with Nebuchadnezzar. He said to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, this is you, this great tree, and so on. And, and I'm just begging you, king, give up all of your, the bad things that you're thinking and doing the way in which you're mistreating other people. Give it up and follow God. And then, of course, down the road, Nebuchadnezzar does just that. Did he also share his faith? Yes, he did. So if we read our Bibles and we pray and we share our faith, the Bible says, in the doing of these things faithfully, we develop unflinching loyalty to God. If we look through other biblical parts, uh, like, say, the Gospels, we will notice that Daniel and Revelation, not the only places where apocalyptic messages surfaces, uh, or surface, Matthew 24, verse 3, Mark 13, 4, Luke 21, 7, says just about the same thing. The disciples come to Jesus and say, tell us, Lord, when's all this stuff going to happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Now, I don't know how many people I've met in Adventism, but it has been a boatload of folk who have super interest in end-time events. You know people like that? I mean, they, they would rather go anywhere there's going to be a message uh, preached or taught or, or discussed that has to do with the end time. Jesus' own disciples expressed an interest. And what did Jesus say to them when they did? Well, let me just say, honestly, he said, um, it isn't the end time yet. But I want you to keep on the watch for it. Now, if I try giving that answer, do you know how many times people will beat me up? They'll say, Pastor, we're so close now, I can just taste it. I mean, we can't be more than a year or two away. And I'll say, the shortness of time is often urged as an incentive for us to seek righteousness and make Christ our friend. This ought not to be. Must we be compelled through fear? That's a little statement that our own Ellen White wrote some time back, right? Do we have to be compelled through fear, the shortness of time and so on, the terrors of the end, to, to decide to be friends with God? But whenever I quote that to people who are really keen on last day events, they don't like that either. But Jesus says, look, just pay attention to this. Look for the end. But all too often when we think it's the end, it's not. Since then, the years have gone by. I remember the last time I had a big discussion with somebody. They showed up in the pastor's office after my sermon. They laid it out to me why I was wrong, that the end was so very, very near. Five years have gone by. They've gotten married and had a kid during that time. I'd be interested in talking to them now. What do you think now? What should this tell us when we, we think about what Jesus had to say? Well, one of the things, 
we should learn from this is Jesus said, don't forget to focus on the here and now. You may be focusing on the end times, but if you just keep your eyes there, you're going to blow it big time. Over and over again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God is fulfilled right now. Jesus made it clear that happiness is more than just pie-in-the-sky kind of experience. It's, we do not have a pie-in-the-sky religion. Heaven begins here and now. And the here and now, that uh, aspect, I think, of God's religion is what actually produces happiness in our life. If you want to be happy now, then you've got to have a religion that really is happy now. God is changing our hearts right now, and that allows us to experience and cooperate with God and to affect great changes in the world around us, if we wish it to, to work like that for us. It will. We've got to cooperate with God in this regard. You see what Jesus did during his time here, Matthew 11? He said to John the Baptist's disciples, go back and to John and tell them what you've heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is being preached to the poor. When you and I love other people, show compassion to them, guess what? Then the heaven that Jesus talked about being here and now, it is here and now. People experience it when you and I treat them with love and compassion. And all of this, of course, surfaced in Paul's writings. Just very briefly, he said in Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Right now, we may live new lives. Is that exciting? We may live new lives right now. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he said, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. You want to know how in the world you're going to be happy? How you're going to make the rest of the people in this world happy? God's made it very clear. He says, I've given you a spiritual gift. Put it to use. You will be happy when you do. And so will the people around you, the people whom you help. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Boy, am I glad. Because this list right here, this is the list that makes me happy when I have these kind of character qualities when I exercise them, and the people around me are happier when I exercise these qualities. Is that true for you as well? And lastly, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul said, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Why? For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. How can you and I be happy right now? How can we be happy right now?
maybe we're going through some tough times. How can we be happy right now? As through Jesus we enter into rest, heaven begins here. We respond to his invitation, come learn of me, and in thus coming we begin the life eternal. Heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. The longer we're in the heaven of bliss, the more and still more of glory will be open to us. And the more we know of God, the more intense will be our happiness. Would you like to be happy? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for making it clear throughout Scripture. And we began way back in Genesis. In nine sermons, we've traveled through various parts of the Bible, and we've established this truth. You are incredibly interested in making us happy. And you want us to also make other people happy. Father God, take away our sadness, our solemnness, and give us a happy spirit, one that draws other people in 